0: Hello, and welcome to Carried Away. I'm your host, Carrie Murray. As the founder of The Bra Network, the Business Relationship Alliance, I have met some of the most inspiring women working as entrepreneurs, freelancers, founders, executives, and creatives, and I want to share their stories with you. So let's get Carried Away. Today we're talking about my favorite topic, money and money in the hands of female entrepreneurs. Joining me today is founder and CEO, Carolina Campbell of the Illuminate Consulting Group. They work with mid-stage growth founders that are seeking opportunities to leverage and grow their business. That's right, it's time to start pursuing capital, ladies. Let's get carried away. Yay. Thank you, Carolina, for joining me today. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. First off, I've never had anybody talk about your topic. So that already gets me excited. Yeah, I'm excited. So luckily, we are joined today by Carolina Campbell. um, And she's going to be talking about um, how to build that bulletproof business plan that's going to get you some money, some investing. But before we dive into that topic, I want to know... What did ten-year-old Carolina want to be when she grew up? Oh boy! Um, well,
1: first of all, thank you for having me on, Carrie. I'm so excited to be here. I love listening to your podcast and uh,
0: getting oh, carried
1: getting carried away with you and all of your speakers. So thrilled to be a part of that ecosystem. Um, Funny you are asking me that because just the other day I had a conversation with my five-year-old niece who was asking me something similar, like what I wanted to be when I was a little kid, because I guess that's what she got asked at school. And so the answer is at that age, I thought I was going to follow in my mom's footsteps and be involved in the fashion and clothing business, which is what my mom did. Okay. So um, at that point, I thought I was going to be a fashion designer and go to like Parsons or one of those great yeah. design schools in New York City. And I went to New York City, but I did not pursue fashion. Um, it took one art class to figure out that I couldn't even draw like a stick figure. So <laughs> I, was, I was definitely not going to be sketching like ball gowns and other things it was, like not in my DNA. So, um, so I pivoted to focus on business and I have been doing that ever since finance and business.
0: That's so great. And did you, were you, have you always been an entrepreneur? Did you ever work for corporate in the finance world and then make the transition over? Yeah, I'm
1: i I'm a transitioned as I like to call it, um, recovering wall street executive. I was in New York city on wall street for 20 years um, you know, dealt with that crazy life out there. And if you had asked me during those years, if I thought I would be an entrepreneur, I would have definitely said no. And that changed when I moved to Los Angeles about two years ago and started pursuing other opportunities after, you know, wanting to leave New York and just needing to get away from that, you know, crazy pace. And, um, you know, I, I, I came to see that there are so many intelligent and successful founders here in the L.A. ecosystem. And I can't say I was surprised by that, but it was just a very different experience than what I had had in New York. You know, New York is much more structured and corporate and, you know, bigger oh, yeah. company. Right. It's just a very different um, professional existence. So coming out here and meeting, you know, a ton of different people joining networks like yours and, and, and just connecting with a lot of female entrepreneurs really opened my eyes to possibility, which, you know, I hadn't considered to be honest with you. And so, um, that was where I discovered, you know, the potential to be an entrepreneur. And it was a very organic process just to share a minute on that. Um, you know, I came out here, I took a break from wall street. I wanted to work in finance, but I thought it would be something different. And I started, like I said before, meeting founders who, would, you know, had the successful business or product or what have you, and would call me for basically free advice on, can you help me with my business plan? I'm pitching to investors, or I have no idea how to value my company. And I'm getting asked that. And this was all just through my own network of, of, of people that I had met over the course of like six to 12 months of being here. And so once I started to like get several of those phone calls, I was like, huh, there's a market here for, you know, middle to, you know, early stage growth companies that are have revenue, they're able to pay someone for support. You know, they're not totally starting out, but they're not quite at the point where they're able to hire a full-time COO or a full-time, you know, chief financial officer. They're, they're still sort of bootstrapping or, you know, keeping it lean, but they need the support. And that I discovered that niche of, of, of founders is really significant. And it's basically what helps take you to the next level. If you get the support that you need, if you are able to get investors for funding or not, just the you know internal support to help you grow, to help you figure out what will help your company get to the next level. It's like a critical point for the company. So That's why I started how and why I started Illuminate Consulting Group, ICG for short, um, because I noticed that there was such a need in the marketplace to support these founders who didn't know where to turn. You know, there there are big consulting companies out there that would charge them way too much money that they wouldn't even want to spend for business plans or helping them get invested. Oh, so yeah. It's just, you know, and then they're, they're at this point, like I was saying before, where it's kind of a really critical moment for that. So, um, so it's been really awesome to help people get to the next level. I've had some very quick successes with a, uh, a social media online social media company that, um, got acquired by UTA. So United talent, talent. And we helped with that acquisition, which was huge. And, you know, this is a great example. This individual is incredibly successful and smart, but had absolutely no idea how to maneuver through the conversations of being acquired. And if you're not prepared for that, you know, you're going to leave money on the table. So, um, so that's where we specialize. I know the topic is how to create a bulletproof business plan. And I think that's kind of step number one, before you start going down the path of speaking to investors, because it's the first thing that they're going to want to know about. So I'm happy to, to
0: dive in or however. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this. Um, so many women, you know, and I'm sure you work with men and women. Um, you're open to, any clients. Um, but there, a lot of women Absolutely. I've noticed, yeah. Who, who join bra, um, don't create a business plan plan. They become entrepreneurs. Um, and they're, they're just kind of diving in the deep end of the pool and they, the money and the finance doesn't seem to be the thing that we think about first, really it's the problem we're solving. Right. But we figure, you know, Oh, we'll figure out the money when we get there. Um uh, when really, <laughs> and what I've learned from experience It should be the opposite. We should have a plan of how not only how we're going to get revenue, but how once we are a growth plan, a scalability plan, and that does include hiring a team eventually, getting investors or just getting a loan from a bank. I mean, how you're going to start your business. Um, a bank is not going to look at you if you're just like, I have this great t-shirt line, um, <laughs> that's like they, you know, if you're making widgets or whatever, you've got to have a plan on how you're bringing in revenue when, yeah. when you're working with clients, what kind of is their pain point? What, what are they feeling before they're like, I need a Carolina?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, I always like to give the example. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that. But what came to mind is, you know, we've, I'm sure we've all watched the show Shark Tank, right? Yes. And so, you see these incredibly smart individuals who have either put up a lot of money to start their business or, you know, quit jobs to put their heart and soul into whatever it is that they're focusing on. So, a lot of like grit and time and energy and money goes into it. And then you see that they present in front of this very sophisticated group of investors. And yes, it's a show. So there's a little bit of fluff around it, but the concept is the same, right? Like you're sitting there and if you're not prepared to answer these questions, like they're going to laugh at you basically, because you can't grow a business if you're only thinking in the now and not thinking, you know, in the future. So I always, I always encourage my clients to to think of it that way. And to be honest, sometimes that puts the fear of God in them because they're like, oh my God, I have to be really prepared for these conversations. And the answer to that is yes. So I would say that's pain point number one is be prepared before you start seeking investment capital because the conversations will not go well if you're not prepared for those conversations. And oftentimes I think what happens is it's like a, it's like a chicken or an egg scenario, right? right? You don't have enough money to grow. You're trying to grow organically. And then all of a sudden, like you kind of take off and, but it's still just you and one other person or, or, you know, 10 people, whatever the number is, it's small. And you're trying to figure out, well, do we put money into, to like getting investors? Do we put money back into the business? You know, it, it gets to this point where you start going, which should we do first? Right, and right. so that's where we come in to help you figure that out and help get help get you as a, as a founder on a track that is, you know, scalable and makes sense and really gives you power with your numbers and your business plan, because the power is in knowing your numbers. Right. And if you don't okay. know your numbers, you can't have conversations
0: with investors. Right. That's so important. And that's just a reminder to all the ladies listening check your books. Um, yeah. uh, like constantly be looking at your books. I remember Oprah has a quote that she she says, sign every check, you know, make sure you're signing every check and you're watching where all your money's going. Okay. Um, which I thought that was very clever. Um, so, I'm a business owner. I'm like, I'm doing well. I might've hit my six first six figures. I'm on the track to maybe opening another, you know, branch or if I have a brick and mortar and I need to get to investors. So I start creating this business plan. I'm working with you. I start creating it. Where do people drop me? Where do people have the biggest holes? Is it they're like longevity plan? Where are the big holes in business plans?
1: Good question. Um, I would say the number one thing that I see all the time is, to your point, people's books and finances are a mess. Yeah, And um, that is just shocking, right? Because it's like, how do you run a business when you're not having clean numbers? Like, I, I cannot tell you one time that I've had a client come with like a pristine QuickBooks and like pristine <laughs> my you know, god you're
0: going oh. yeah.
1: <laughs> right where you're just like oh this is easy like oh I got this no it's you know it's never in good shape it might you know there are people who definitely focus on it and, and want to do their best but the reality is it's very difficult to be the creative part of the business the founder, you know, whatever other roles you're playing and also like running the company from a financial standpoint, that's just a hard thing to do. Many people do it, but it's, it's not like everybody has that skill set. So I would say that's what I see the most of. And then, you know, taking that a step further when you dive in to actually clean up the books or clean up the balance sheets or the income statements, a lot of aha moments come from that. Right. Because you're like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize like either we have more cash than I thought we did. We have way less cash than I thought we did. You know, I didn't account for this properly from an accounting standpoint, like so many things come from that, that sort of dictates like, okay, now that we know this, here's what we do next. Right. We've got to fix this before we do this or whatever the case might be. But you'd be surprised that that's that's generally the case and generally a point where most conversations then pivot from because what you might have thought was going to happen next may not be the case once you start seeing, you know, the numbers in a a much
0: cleaner fashion. Yeah. That could be a little alarming. I'm sure when you're working with clients, you're like, actually here's your number. And then they're like, Oh, I was like, Oh, I thought there was an extra zero on that. (laughs) No, there wasn't. (laughs) Um, Well, that's one way you got to keep that business plan straight is really, really keeping tabs of your books. I have a fantastic accountant, shout out to Suzanne. Um, um, So she is on team bra and is, I'm so grateful for her because you're absolutely right. Um, as a creative, I know my limitations, right? I'm not going to be able to build a website. I've tried it. I'm not, it's just, I'm not going to be able to do it. And I'm, I'm not someone who's very good with numbers or Mm -hmm. watching what I'm spending and what's coming in. So I knew immediately I was going to need a great graphic designer and I was going to need a book, great bookkeeper when I founded bra and they keep me And then I stay in my lane of genius and they stay in their lanes of genius. Um, And I, I love that you're talking about that. You know, we have, you have to have these people in place Um, or honestly, I don't know how anybody can sustain a business without, you know, really seeing where your money is going and how it's being spent and, and who you're paying and all the, and it adds up so quickly when you're not paying attention.
1: And I think you raised a really good point. It's knowing your limitations as a founder, because so often founders, um, you know, just want to do everything and be part of every decision and all of that. And that's very normal. But to your point, it takes a lot of recognition to say this is not my area of specialty. So I'm going to outsource that so that I can leverage my own skills for the things that, you know, serve the greater company and have someone else focus on things that I know are not my area of, of, of strength. And that's really critical. And I, and I applaud you and others who take that leap because it really is altering for the business model to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, and especially if you're taking on payroll right? I just didn't want to muck it up for my employees. So that was also part of it. I was like, oh, I don't want to screw this up and I don't want the IRS after me later. Um, so what, what else, what else advice do you have to create that business plan that, I mean, what do investors look for in a, in a solid business plan?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, and I'll run through them very, very quickly, but I would say nine things are very critical for a business plan. And, you know, the the first thing I just want to say is a business plan doesn't have to be this crazy, overwhelming Thirty-page document with you know ten appendices and all of that. Like right. simple is actually right because I think sometimes that scares people and turns them away and is like oh my god I got to stay up you know till two in the morning for several right. nights and do this, and the answer is it doesn't really have to be that complicated you know at least in the beginning. Um, so I would say nine nine quick things that I'll briefly run through that I think will just help people frame out what to include and how to Nothing. think about it. So the first one is the executive summary. So you always start there. And that's basically what I call your elevator pitch, right? So the like three quick sentences on, you know, what your business is doing, you know, who you guys focus on, whatever the case might be. Like if someone asks you, what do you do for a living? That would be the answer. You know, like a broad network helps to connect amazing women in different industries, whatever your pitch is. So that sort of lays it out. Um, then the second thing is diving into the problem that you solve in your proposed solution. That is critical to any business. So yeah. going back to my example of, of my consulting practice, I identified a niche in the marketplace. The problem was you know, out, the need for outsourced support. And I came up with a proposed solution. You know, you, you hire us for a monthly retainer project base, and, and this is the solution we offer you. And that's applicable to anybody, right? It could be a product, a service, doesn't matter. You just come up, right? right is your, the problem is why your offering solves that. Very simple. Um, and then the, the third thing is you have to define your marketplace, That's critical, right? Because so many investors want to know the competitive landscape. Why should I invest in you versus so-and-so who does the same thing? So you have to really dig into your competition and understand Mm -hmm. how and why you're different and own that, you know, own that difference, speak to it, find out as much information you can from your competition so that you can make a case as to why you're different and why you would stand out and why, if you're, you know, opening up a bakery, why everybody should come to your bakery and not the 300 other ones that exist. Right. And that's, you know, I'm not sitting here saying any of that's easy, right? This is sometimes tough to do, but it's, it's critical because that's, what's going to help you really have that conversation with investors and be smart about it. Um, the fourth is what I call identifying your ICA or ideal client avatar. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that gets thrown around like what's your client avatar, but it, it is very helpful to know exactly who your audience is right so yeah. For ICG, it's, you know, middle, mid-stage growth founders, right? And like you said before, we typically focus on female entrepreneurs, but we're happy to work with, you know, anyone that needs our services. Um, If you are selling, you know, a clothing item, who's your market, right? Is it Females in a certain age group, you know, just identifying exactly who your market is, because that will help you identify how you will market your product and (laughs) the modalities that target that specific audience. Um, Then uh, talk about your or define your business structure. So back to what you were saying before, do you need to hire? How do you organize? Are you okay with three people? Are you okay with 10 people? You know, put some structure around it. And of course, if you're already, you know, down the road as a business, you can talk about where you are and where you see the business headed. And that's a very critical point because investors are going to want to know, oh, you envision your like revenues doubling in the next two years. How do you plan to accomplish that? Do you plan to hire? Do you plan to, you know, leverage your current Employees in a different way? Like, what is your thought process on how you are planning to scale? Like, what is the structure of it? Um, so, important. so important. And I think, along with that, one other thing I want to throw into that is creating sort of an advisory board for you as a founder. And that is so critical because create a safe place that you can ask certain people advice and questions who will be, you know, a, in your corner, B, non judgmental, and C, give you good advice, right? Yeah. Like you
0: don't have to go out there alone. Right. And you don't want to necessarily surround yourself with people that just say, yes, yes, that's amazing. Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. Like your mom or your sister is always going to support you, but it's good to have someone that's going to question you and, and help you think strategically, right? Yeah. And I think that's a very critical piece of defining, you know, the structure, whether it's a board or whether it's just your own little board of people you can reach out to, you know, super important um, to help you sort of get your head out of focused on your business on a daily basis and someone who's going to kind of like sanity check you a little bit. And I think that's important. Um, the seventh one is how will you market your products and services? So back to what I was saying before you identify your market and then you have a good sense of, you know, the right methodologies for each of those. And, um, there's a, there's a cool little acronym that I came across that is called the five P's and it's pricing, positioning, promotion, profit, and place. And that's all of that <laughs> with marketing. Yeah. The five P's. So how will you price the product? How will your product and service fit into the market? So the positioning of it promotion, what channels will you use to attract customers profit? How much do you expect to make and then place? Where are your sales outlets? And then that's obviously if you're selling a, you know, a product, a physical product. Sure. And I think that's important at least to have high level answers to. You know, you may not know everything immediately, but that's something that you as a founder should be focused on. And then here comes the tough and ugly part where people like cringe is the financial plan and the projections. Yeah. yes, <laughs> And that's where people like want to run and hide. And they're like, what do you mean we need to be profitable? <laughs> <laughs> I yes, need, girl. It's <laughs> not a <Yeah>. hobby. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So that's where, you know, back to what we were just talking about before, you have to have clean books, you have to have, you know, a a clean um, system in place that allows you to know on a maybe weekly basis where you are. And one piece of advice I can give anyone, and I honestly think it's relevant to any single founder out there, is get ahead of this. Like, don't let your books be a mess and then have to hire someone to do a cleanup job. Like, get someone early on so that it's never a mess, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that like, I can't emphasize that enough because six months goes by pretty quickly. And then going back to have to clean up six months of receipts and, you know, accounts payable and accounts receivable and all of the above is way more painful than just like hiring an outsourced CFO or even like someone even more junior, like a QuickBooks person that can just help you clean up your QuickBooks, like whatever it is that you are able to afford, like do it early on. Don't wait because the cleanup job is so much worse. Oh, so true.
0: (laughs) And it's so time consuming. I've heard. like, Oh, yes. Yeah. It's it's just a nightmare. Um, I've heard some pretty crazy horror stories about bookkeepers who have come in and they're just it's literally a box of receipts. It's like, yes. what is happening? Um, wow, that's really, really important information. Um, and you work with your clients through each of those steps.
1: Yes, we absolutely do. Everybody comes at a different point in their growth cycle, right? So we don't tend to work with super early stage founders who are, you know, really in the early stages. Um, We tend to really have a sweet spot with more, you know, growth, like I was saying before, who are seeking how to bring things to the next level or get acquired or get sold like an eventual exit strategy. And so that's where having things kind of clean from the beginning really helps. Right. Because it's also just cheaper to be very honest with you. Like we have to charge more if it takes us longer to clean things up. Right. So (laughs) you as a founder are spending more money on that um, versus maybe just having spent the money up
0: front to keep it in a good place from the beginning. Right. Right. Um, And when you're working with your clients and you get all, get them all squeaky clean and they're ready to go, do you also like prep them for that, that, uh, that talk with investors? Is that part of your, your coaching plan as <laughs> as well. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. We, um, we do everything from helping them prepare for those conversations, helping with the actual pitch deck for those conversations, helping, you know, in some cases we've even been a part of those conversations, mm-hmm. you know, as sort of like an in the room support, um, to the founder, depending on, you know, the, the, the structure. Um, but yes, absolutely. You know, that that's something that as a founder, you don't need to go through that alone. There are services out there that can help support you. And, um, and I think it's, it's, it takes, like I was saying before, it's almost like we're a trusted advisor, right? Like, yes, the founder is paying for our services, but we are an external third party that of course we're trying to give sound advice to help you grow but we are able to look at it from a distance right and see things that perhaps you as a founder don't see and that's very critical and important in conversations with investors right because it's the same thing they're going to they're going to have very strict parameters for their investment thesis. And they're also going to have very, you know, detailed questions. And so if you have someone helping you think about the business in a
0: different way, you're just going to look smarter to your investors. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, we have a lens we look through, right? So when I look at bra, I see my baby. I'm like, oh, there's my baby. Um, But when I, I purposely seek out other people's opinions on what are the optics of this brand and, and it's longevity, especially, um, because I'm too close to it. So it's definitely important to have someone who's impartial and truthful, um, yep. like what, but also that you can really trust, um, to give you good advice. Because what I think there's a saying, like, don't take advice from some, from someone you wouldn't switch places with. Um, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I would definitely take your advice. Be like, yes. yes. So true. <laughs> that. That's a good, that's a good one. It's, it's really, it's critical. It really is. And when you're working with clients, you mentioned you're, you were on a month to month contract Are how typically long are contracts with clients with you? I guess it depends on how prep they are when they first approach you.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it depends on, on not only where they are in their, in their process as a founder and a company, but also what their eventual goal is, right? Because we've gotten some calls where it's sort of like an immediate need. Oh my goodness, we just got approached by a group of investors and we really hadn't been thinking about that much. So it's sort of like very urgent, if you will. Yeah. Um, And we're able to dive in and, you know, do as much as we can to get them to the right place in a short amount of time. But then there are more strategic projects, which everybody knows might take three to six months. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, of an evolutionary process. Like you sign on and you, you know, that something is going to take a few months. To, yeah. To get okay. you there. Um, but that's, you know, we use, we usually know that upfront.
0: Sure. And anyone coming to you, I'm sure knows that this is a, a long game, right? Right. Um, and they're making an investment. They can't think, you know, I'm just going to. Chick-ching. Yeah. Like, here's your check. Like sure. done in a few weeks. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, well, this is so, so, so brilliant. Um, what do you, when you're working with clients and you're getting them ready for the investor, they're getting ready for the pitch. Where do you think once they're in the pitch, things kind of go the wrong way? Like, do you hear mistakes or words they use or? Is it in the pitch deck? Where do you see things going south? Yeah, that's such a great question.
1: Um, I would say back to what we were talking about before is really knowing the numbers. That's a big one and feeling comfortable around that because, again, if it's not your call it specialty or, you know, you as a founder, that wasn't what you were really focused on as you grew the business. It almost becomes like the area and this is human nature, right? This is like how we all are. The minute you're kind of asked to focus on something that you don't feel comfortable focusing on, you just feel like you're going to get tripped up, right? That's like just human and natural and very, very normal. So I think we, we try to do a really good job of almost over preparing the founder for, you know, that conversation and helping them with like, whether it's a one page bullet point or, you know, whatever it is to just keep getting them like prepped and practiced for that meeting, um, and then also the other thing, and we had this actually happen a week or two ago, it's sometimes the founder doesn't see scenarios that we see. Right. And like uh-huh. we were saying before, like the, you know, sort of you're in it. So you have a different vantage point, but when you're sort of hiring, when you hire a third party, they see different things. So we came up with some creative proposals for this one client who was like, I hadn't even thought of that. And, You know, they went into this meeting, presented those, and it really went over well because it was like, oh, this is something they hadn't heard before, and it's new, and it's a different idea, and this could be, you know, really useful to the conversation. So I think it goes south where when they don't, they're not prepped properly. Bottom line, you know, just to simplify it, I think you just have to go in there being, feeling confident, being prepared. And I would also add to that being open to taking advice, right? Ah. (laughs) That is a big one. And I don't mean to leave that out or mention that towards the end here, but the reality is if you're going to hire someone, you should be open to their advice, right? So many times, like, and how many times have we seen this where a founder's like, you don't know my business. I know my business, right? Fair. That's fair. But if you're not open to taking the advice that someone's trying to give you, then that's just a difficult conversation, right? And I think you just have to be open to accepting ideas from others and then seeing where they lead.
0: I love that. So not only do you illuminate, but you also innovate, um, when you're working with clients, which is really, really crucial, um, I'm always looking for advice. So anytime yeah. you're like, Hey, Carrie, have you thought of this? I'll take it to <laughs> um, support you. You know, that I love that. Um, this has been, there's so many great, great nuggets in this talk. I'm loving it so much. I, and, and I know anyone listening um, is going to want to know more. So where can we find you? Where, can, how can we work with you? When do we know we're ready to hire uh IG ICG? Yes.
1: Uh, well, you can find us. Um, we're on social. We have an Instagram page, which is illuminate underscore consulting underscore group. Um, we also have a website, which is outsourced with a D at the end, C-suite, so csuit com. Um, and you could book a, a free 15 minute consultation with us on that. And, you know, we're happy to have conversations with anyone that would like to get a sense of how we could help them. Um, and then feel free to email me directly, Carolina at outsourced c And I'd be happy to
0: speak with anybody. I love that. And we're going to put all of this in the show notes. So if you're driving and listening to this podcast, don't worry. It's in the show notes. You don't have to start writing while you're driving. Um, um, okay. So now we get to get carried away. Um, and I'm dying to know, since we've been stuck in, inside the pandemic, all the things, what are you doing to keep yourself entertained? What are what has got you carried away? Is it books, podcasts, Netflix? What What are you yes. doing over there?
1: Oh my gosh. Other than consuming a lot of wine. Um <laughs> Who isn't, right, Carrie? They're not listening to this podcast. Yeah. Oh boy, I know. Uh, that's a whole other podcast. Um, so I, I'll i admit, I love to read. I've always got something interesting on my nightstand. Right now I'm reading, um, actually rereading Glennon Doyle's book. Um, you know, she's got a couple Untamed? of Untamed, which yeah, one? Untamed, I'm actually rereading that. I think it's an easy read and
0: so good. Such a good book
1: so good be the um, cheetah just be right? a cheetah <laughs> i just love it and it's like scott it was so inspiring i'm just rereading it um so i've got that on my nightstand and i've also got um another book which is by elizabeth lesser mm-hmm. and she's the founder of the omega institute on the east coast you know very oh, i
0: don't famous, know this
1: educational mm-hmm. um Institute that ha- hosts, you know, amazing speakers, nice. and um, of course, I'm totally blanking on the name of the book right now, which I'm going to look up. But it has this amazing hot pink cover, and it's Ooh. about women. So, of course, very appropriate for this audience. Um, Absolutely, at we're it always crowded. looking for good. It's called uh, "Cassandra Speaks: When Women Are the Storytellers, the Human Story Changes." And basically, very brief synopsis, it it goes through the history of like the patriarchy and Mm -hmm. where things kind of broke down, if you will, because at one point, it was sort of equal and women were seen as contributors as well and it goes through the literal like history like back to like the egyptians of when things pivoted and it's really fascinating and i think oh i love that any female you know that i think is is involved in bra or listens to this podcast would probably get a lot
0: out of it i love that i was just reading a book by sam harris and I also can't remember the title now, but it's yeah. it's kind of it's a similar in the sense that um, how we got the name witches, you know, like all of a sudden there was this patriarchal change that happened that they had to dom us as witches because we could give life. We we were intuitive. Wow. We could, um, you know, ma- had believed in manifestation. So it's a really interesting it. And it starts, I'd say, in like the. you know, like early 1400s, I want to say, but it's really fascinating to hear the evolution of the term, "witch," like where that came from. Um, Oh, I want to read that one. Yeah. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to find it and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes too. I'm putting both of these books in the show notes. (laughs) Um, I love that now. One thing I wanted to ask you, other than you know, the pandemic and all the fun stuff, you know, before all of this, where were you traveling? Where's your favorite place to go? Or where do you want to go and just get carried away?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Um I have been dreaming of I keep thinking when the pandemic is over and when we, you know, can safely travel overseas. I've been to both cities many times and I've been fortunate to do so, but I just have this longing to go back to London and Paris, right? Just like almost like keeping it simple, like nothing too exotic, fabulous on their own. But it, it almost feels like once we get through all of this, like going to a museum is going to feel like the most special thing in the world,
0: even if we've done it a hundred times, you know? Yeah. So, completely yeah I was thinking that about going to a movie theater like just going to a movie and watching a movie seems like such a like oh fancy pants (laughs) but yeah Paris I can I mean give me a scarf and a and a lovely little pink glass of champagne and a macaroon I'm there (laughs) that sounds incredible (laughs) yeah I love Paris Paris is one of my favorite cities um it's so gorgeous and I just feel like everybody looks good in Paris light, like the light that comes through Paris. You just look good in it. <laughs>
1: yes, can't go wrong.
0: Can't go wrong. <laughs> can't go wrong. Um, now, did you develop any uh, pandemic hobbies? You know, people are baking. Some people got puppies. Some of people adopted a dog. Any any new crafts you've picked up?
1: Yeah, um, I've been cooking a lot more, which has been a very humbling experience. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm very proud of myself. You know, the whole like speed dial Postmates thing. Like I've I've really cut back on that, and I'm cooking. good for you. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it. It really is. I now understand how people say like it's therapeutic. I used to think like this sounds like torture, not therapy. <laughs> like. <laughs> this doesn't sound remotely fun and then you gotta clean it up like I know. Anyway, you know, so I was always not into it to say the least. And now I really have started to enjoy it and it's become a little bit of a of an outlet. And um, you know, I think once you you start going down that path, it's like, oh, well, what can I make next?
0: So I'm embarking on that what are you most proud of? What's your favorite dish so far?
1: (laughs) Oh, nothing fancy. I have to admit, but, um, just coming up with like new recipes with like interesting spices and herbs, which I just never would have known about before. And that's been kind of fun to like, see how they all come together. And, you know, like sumac is a new spice I've recently learned about. I'm like, Oh, what's sumac. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been fun.
0: It's been fun. good 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 good. good i'm so glad to hear that um Uh, all right my uh, last question always always ends with uh, um what's something something that you can't stand that people get so carried carried away away about about you just 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 can't even wrap your your head around it i know for me i don't don't like tomatoes tomatoes. and i've never seen one one episode episode. of downton abbey or grayson Grayson abbey
1: whoa can't get can't get it that's big um okay so then two things i would say one is i cannot wrap my head around this tiktok thing and i know i must sound like you know an 80 year old grandma when i say that but it's just you know it's like what are these kids doing and then <laughs> and then i have to admit i have yet to watch more than two episodes of game of thrones
0: never oh. watched
1: it yeah
0: Okay. okay. You're actually not the first person to say either of those
1: answers. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Interesting. When you told me, when you, when you said yours, that made me think like, what show does everybody talk about or did talk about? And
0: I could never get into it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much, Carolina, for being here. We're going to put everything, all the ways and places to find you in the show notes. And when this becomes a blog, I'll be able to tag you and redirect it all to you. So thank you so much for getting carried away with me.
1: Thank you, Carrie. It was great to be with you.
0: I hope you learned something new. Now, if you are a female founder, thought leader, disruptor, and you're like, I can't be on that show, then you need to email me with some topics. Email me directly, Carrie at bra-network.com or send me a DM on the IG at bra underscore network. I'm always looking for fabulous, fierce females to feature. And hey, if you're a guy, I'll feature you too, because we all have knowledge to share. Until then, thank you for getting carried away. Go ahead and like and subscribe to all the things and all the places. Until next time, have a great day. Stay safe. Wear a mask.